You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! I don't know, it's not much of an intro, but it's all I have. Hello, welcome to the X-Men Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for checking out the program. Yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> what kind of week, Doc? Uh, it was one of those weeks, I'm, I don't know if you guys remember last week, I was I was a little down, you know, had a case of, as we say in the, the biz, a case of the Mondays, just, I don't know, just... I go through these periods where it's like I work really hard and I'm, I'm doing everything and I'm grinding, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, and I just kind of hit a brick wall and I just stop. So, and usually you'll kind of notice if I'm not really posting a lot on social media and this, and the last week has been one of those weeks and probably in the subsequent days, you know, drank a little too much, ate a little too much, feeling a little pudgy today. So we're just kind of rolling with the punches, but the truth is behind the scenes, in the Bad Wolves world, the band has been working really hard and, you know, dealing with kind of high intensity, high pressure, just just circumstances, you know, things. This is a, a make or break period for the band's career, for our lives. And if we make the right decisions or wrong decisions, it will affect us for years to come. So that's a lot of, you know, the butthole might, whoop, might tighten up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, and then I tend to withdraw, which I is it's not, not something I'm proud of. I wish I could be, I'd, I wish I was even more consistent, but I guess that's not the way life is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be peaks and valleys and inhale, exhale. I guess that's just, that's just how it goes. And, uh, and yeah, so it's been one of those weeks where I've, I've pretty much been chilling hard. I, I think I, between Saturday and Sunday, I watched about 37 movies, ate about 6 billion potato chips, (laughs) but I lived to tell the tale, tell the tale, excuse me. Uh, Just one thing I want to, I want to talk about before I get into the next segment of of the podcast is that I think I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode, but I have to talk about it a little more. Like I just found out today that Madison Square Garden the most famous arena in the world. It's going to just started selling tickets to some Knicks games in March. Okay. Now it's going to be small capacity. It's probably going to only be like a thousand, 2000 tickets in a place that holds 
probably 17, 18,000 people. But I mean, come on, guys. If and this and this is, I'd say, probably about half the arenas are having people now. If they can have two thousand people in March, indoors, right, and they can have a Super Bowl with twenty eight thousand people there, and probably a a place that holds about a hundred thousand people, and Donald Trump could be doing rallies packed, <laughs> packed to the gills, all right, with people. And we can do marches with hundreds of thousands of people on the streets and all that kind of stuff. Why come we can't do outdoor festivals and shows this summer? This makes no sense to me. I'm just, I get it. There's insurance problems, but basically I'm hearing the word on the street is the summer is probably done and things are getting pushed to the fall, which I get it, and I, like I said, mentioned on last week that the assessment, the great Fauci assessment was originally April, everyone would be able to get vaccinated, now that's like July, so I get that, the timetable has moved, but I just don't understand, well, how come you can do all these things over here, but you can't do these other things over here? I just I just don't get it, y'all, and y'all know me, I'm, I'm all for responsibility and doing the right thing, but it'd be nice if there were a little consistency, and the summertime is such... Right? That's like a big commuting period for the community that is rock and metal and hardcore and punk and even the other people, the normies, the Coachella people, they want to get out there and run through and frolic for Instagram, okay? But I'm sure all that shit's going to get canceled too. And I, and I get it. I, I think some of the bigger festivals like Hellfest in France just announced that they were being canceled because they would have only been allowed to sell 5,000 tickets seated for a festival that usually, you know, houses, I want to say like, uh, I don't know, 100,000 people each day or something crazy somewhere. 50, 60, something somewhere in that, in, in that number. So I get for something like that where they'll have all these bands that they have to pay all this money. It's not economical to do something like that, but I mean, you could do a two, a three band package in a amphitheater. And I get it. Those places are expensive to open, but I imagine if you're only having a partial capacity, you don't need to have as many security. You don't need to have as many ushers. You don't need to have as many concessions. I don't know. I really don't guys, but, uh, but I'm disappointed if it goes down that way because I want to rock. I miss rocking and I don't know. It's just frustrating. All right. I think this is worn out. It's welcome. We have a sponsor this week, y'all. I ain't messing around. All right. I got some homies, old school homies from New Jersey. This band is called Man Destroyed Man. We're going to play a track entitled Upside Down is Flipped.
So that was Man Destroyed Man with their track Upside Down is Flipped. I feel like that's going back for me in a, in a little bit of a time machine back to my early days in Jersey because that features, the band features members of Elements DEC, which members of that band went into being Agents of Man, good friends of the band, uh, the guitar player Ray actually did the X-Men logo and some artwork for me. So shout out to him. Uh, and also features the drummer from All Parallels. And they have joined together forces in this new metalcore project. Uh, while no doubt influenced by their past projects due to share history, Man Destroyed Man was formed to be a new chapter to primarily speak to the current social, societal, excuse me, climate. And I definitely vibed with that with the uh, with some of the lyrics there. They uh, kind of finding your own reality. And uh, they say with both hardcore and hints of classic riff metal like Sabbath, our goal is to keep things short, sweet and catchy while having an underlying message of get shit together before it is too damn late. Uh, yeah, that was that was a really cool track. And like I said, just kind of there's something about that scene, you know, the hardcore scene. I came up in Jersey. We did this show with uh, and by the way, shout out to the singer Larry Cooney. Uh, really brilliant guy, uh, used to work, you know, uh, Elements was a little more hip hop oriented, even though you can kind of hear some of that in, in there. Uh, but he, he used to work with God forbid with like our websites and stuff. And he's just, he's just a really great, great guy. So I really appreciate him, him reaching out to me for this. But if you want to go check out the band, please go over to their Bandcamp, which is mandestroyedman.bandcamp.com. And they just released, the, there's an EP um, entitled Know Thy, <laughs> it goes in parentheses, and self-titled EP. I like that. Know Thy, self-titled self EP. Okay, it's a little deep, but I, I dig it. It's a five-song EP, and it just got released on everywhere where you can stream music only a couple of days ago. So go check that out. And I made sure, when I was talking to Larry for the show, I was like, listen, I'm going to get I'm gonna get a core motherfucker for this show. By the way, if you if you if you want to sponsor the show, hit me up. Drop me an email at the xmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember that's ex. Just drop getting getting DMs. Holla at your boy. Slots are moving fast. But anyway, like I was saying, and thank you to Larry and the boys from Man Destroyed Man for sponsoring the show. But I was like, listen, I gotta get I gotta get a core motherfucker. And I've been meeting to get Scott Vogel on the show for really since the beginning of the show, but he's someone he's supported the X-Man show really since the beginning. And he's someone that's, you know, has, you know, he's done Josta's show and he's done a lot of people's shows. So it's not like he's too uh, difficult to hear from. And I really go out of my way to talk to people who aren't kind of overly out there. And I want to say he's overexposed. He's not. Um, but it was just right about finding the right, the right timing. So I was totally, this was the perfect time to speak to Scott. But as you'll kind of hear, he lived in the, in the West Coast, on the West Coast for 20 years, and he just moved back to Buffalo. <laughs> so it's like, we waited this long for me to be in LA to only have to wait for him to move away to do the show. But Scott is, a you know, as I say in the show, scene legend. He was in Buried Alive. He was in Despair. He was in... You know, he's currently in terror. He does other bands. He's just a lifer of all lifers. And to me, there's not too many people, you know, there's a handful of obviously people that are 
great representatives of the hardcore scene. Uh, but I think he's up there with the best of them. And I've known him for a long time. And he's just he's just a great guy and just one of the true motherfuckers. I'm proud to call him a friend. So please, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Scott, she's the best. So just check out my conversation with the incredible, the legendary Scott Vogel. Since I, I, I have you, and we had a little snafu regarding the scheduling of this conversation. Yes, sorry. I, you, luckily, you were one of the guys when I moved to L.A., we would run into each other at the most random places. Like, I saw you biking, and we would just bump into each other. And it's always <laughs> a comforting feeling to see a familiar face when you move across the country. And just when it's time to do this, like a turncoat, you're back in. <laughs> what, what happened? Um, the real simple answer is the one that I, if I was just asked the, to brush it off, uh, my girlfriend applied to some law schools and she got into like the, the law school here. Oh, so that was, that was like the icing on the cake. Yeah. But, um, truth be told for the last couple of years, I've, uh, just, you know, I lived in LA, let's say 20 years, 19 years. Wow. And at first, at first I really liked it. You know, I was a little more social and, um, younger and was more into doing stuff. And even before you brought this up, when you said you ran into me at random places, I was about to say the only time you can run into me is at random places or maybe a show because yeah. I really got into this pattern of, not like I sat in my house, but I just really became not social where I would just take walks by myself, bike rides by myself, go to Whole Foods by myself, whatever. Um, I just, I, you know, I'm sure you know, but like as much as Terror Tours, you're and at the level of a band like Terror, you are literally never alone. Like, you know, we we get we get two hotel rooms a night. So that means I'm in a hotel room with at least one other person, maybe two. And then I'm in the van with a bunch of other people. And then you're at the show with people and you're backstage with people and you never get to be alone. So after, you know, a good 17 years of that, you're like, I don't want to see anybody. So, and I just kind of got to this point where like LA was just like, I just wasn't like into it. I was just like, paying so much for rent and the fact that I I've always been not a beach guy. I hate the beach <laughs> and just, just all the generic things, the cost, the traffic, all the people, it just got to the point where I was like, why am I living here? And, and band wise, we like, you know, we're so uh, in our groove. We never practice. It's not like even, even the guys in LA, the only time I'll see them is like at a show or whatever. So we're kind of just, it was just, it was just time. Yeah. Well, 20 years is, is a good amount of time. I've only been here for six. So it's pretty new for me. And I think I came here for the purpose of finding a new career and figuring out what I was doing and looking for other opportunities. And that's still very valid for me. It's very right there where I feel like if I left, I would be missing out on opportunities. Like I'm still on the hunt as it, as it were. <laughs> But I definitely understand what you mean about the grind of touring kind of putting you off to socializing. I remember r right before the pandemic, I remember uh, 
it was around Christmas. I just didn't want to go home for Christmas because I was just over it. And, I, and, and between you and me, I don't know how it is for you guys, but as Bad Wolves kept getting bigger and we would do these like big, you know, arena tours just every day. It's this person's trying to get to the show. This person's trying to get backstage. And you just, you end up just getting closed off because you get tired of having to entertain people all the, all the time. I don't know if that's something you have to deal with. I've uh, kind of dealt with that similar scenario in a drinking type of way because to drink with you because it's Saturday night for them, even if it's a Tuesday, every, you know, they've been waiting to see you. That's their night out. They're fucking ready to go. And for you, it's like day 25 of a tour and you, you just want to take a break. And if you, if you say, you know, plenty of times I've said to people, Oh, I'm not, I'm not drinking tonight. They kind of take it as like, Oh, he's fucking too cool or uh, he doesn't care. And you're like, dude, I'm fucking drinking myself to death. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I see their side of it, but I hope, you know, I don't, I, sometimes they don't see your side of it. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know. I, I, I put that in the questionable friend category. Like, <laughs> you know, if you were my friend, you'd kind of be looking out for my, my best interest and my, my health as well. <laughs> I will be the first to admit I have many questionable friends in different assets of life. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of questionable friends, let's talk about how, how we met back in the day. <laughs> how do we meet? So you're probably one of my, the people I've known the longest in the scene that wasn't from New Jersey. So I like that. It was a show that god forbid opened up at cc's in Musick, pennsylvania and it was all out war headlining buried buried alive excuse me i'm about to say bury a dead the pressure that happens 80 million times in your career <laughs> a lot uh, of burying going on <laughs> um and cc's i mean i don't know how many times you played there but we can, I, can i interrupt you was the show horrible for us, it was amazing. There wasn't that many people there. I remember that. There was probably 50 people there or something. Okay. Go ahead. But it was we we had never heard of Buried Alive before. And I remember you guys just you were one of those bands that were just pu so pummeling. It was almost more of a a rhythmic thing. Like you guys, it was just the band was so physically powerful live. You guys had really good equipment. And you played really well together. Uh, and the songs were really kind of, um, I don't know, like just you felt it. It was just, and, and, and that venue actually had pretty, pretty decent sound. But I remember just being like, holy shit. And you guys, despite however many people were there, you were giving 100%. And it was, I feel like back in the day, I'm sure you, you probably have 100 stories like that of walking to a venue, hanging out and seeing a band you never heard of. And then they rip your face off. And that's, that's how we found out about bands back then was the, <laughs> the best way to find out about bands but andy from ever to my die was doing your merch and that was the first day i met him <laughs> so it was like this uh every time you do a show like that you kind of a, a little piece of the world would open up a little bit more and we kind of became buddies then or probably started talking or whatever <laughs> yes amazing my um <clears throat> my memory i think we only my I'm not sure, but I think in my whole life, I've only played CC's once. And my memory is 
I used to see it all the time on like tour. I, I tend not itineraries, but postings like in zines and stuff. Like I'd always see like Snapcase at CC's, Earth Crisis at CC's, VODs at CC's. So I thought like, oh, this is going to be great. And we got there. And like you said, I just remember we were there and the show was very lowly attended. But I mean, Buried Alive, I'd say half our shows were very lowly attended. Is that a term? Lowly attended? I'm sure it's fine. I'm getting the point across. But um, yeah, I, I can remember. I think we played the Melody Bar with you guys possibly. I'm trying to um, of all the times we played together. I remember the this was a really cool show. We played in Queens. Um, the name of the venue is, is escaping me, but it was Converge Glass yes. Us and you guys. And I want to say Locked in a Vacancy opened up. Was it downstairs? I don't know. Fuck my brain. Something like that. But that obviously shows like that. And it was before Glassjaw had a record deal. So they were, I think they had been signed and, but their whole like Long Island crew came out to see him and was, was going, going nuts for him. <laughs> it was just a cool, I, I love shows like that. Just really weird. And this band is kind of like this. And this band is kind of like that. Those lineups that were very much of that time that seemed like uh, something that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can, well, their band, uh, the, the glass job band before was sons of Abraham. Is that correct? They played in Buffalo <clears throat> and buried alive kind of had a house and they stayed at our house. And, you know, next thing you know, they're like glass jaw taking over the world. And it's, I mean, it's crazy to just all the people like, you know, hate breed stayed on my floor and like took over the world. And it's just crazy. Like how many, you know, I'm, me and all the bands I've been in aren't like these super skilled musicians, but we've been able to like weave our way in with all these awesome people and play all these great things. And like, it's just fucking cool as shit, you know? Well, you're, so there's a certain group of people on the show that are in the scene legend category and you're, you're obviously a scene legend, but I'd almost put you like in your own tier. Like you're like, oh ambassador you're an ambassador of of hardcore right like it's and there's only a handful of those guys right it's like a few people it's like Vinny stigma you know wow, you're gonna put me in there thank well, you I mean, think about it i mean think about the the amount of time you've been doing it and listening honestly listening to all your your bands you know kind of kind of to prepare for this i the, the thing that always stuck with me was that, you know, the scenes we came up in, I felt like what the bands you were doing were very true to form of what hardcore was supposed to be from kind of a musical standpoint, an ethical standpoint, message, imagery, just the whole, and half of your, even the, the lyrics and some of the album titles and song titles are about kind of maintaining that credibility or staying to, to your roots or remembering where you come from, that kind of idea, which is a common theme in, in, in hardcore lyrics. Uh, but there was also this idea that it was bigger than that, right? Like it wasn't technically what you sounded like. It was what your, uh, 
you know, what the philosophy of the band, right? The community aspect. So you could be an emo band, quote unquote, but you're a hardcore band. You could be a grindcore band, but you're a hardcore band because we were all part of the same community and we all have the same ethic, you know? Yeah, I've always kind of defined a hardcore band more by the people in it and the way they, you know, live their lives and, um, you know, if they support hardcore and it's, it can't really be defined to a sound because like, look, like, look at like someone like Candiria, like they're like, sounds like turning on a fucking blender and your head smashing off the fucking walls. And then like, um, you know, I've always said a band like title fight was a hardcore band, which a lot of people would like say they're a pop punk band or shoegaze or whatever. But like, to me, like when hardcore kids get together and play music, then it's hardcore. And like, you know, I, people could argue that and, and they'd probably make points that I'd agree with. And, you know, what you were saying about me, thank you. And, you know, I've always stayed true or whatever those generic terms are almost to a fault at times. Like, you know, like, I don't want to bring up stupid shit, but like at times when on stage, when I'm like shit talking to ghosts inside and, and refused, which to me is like, now I look back on that. I'm like, dude, that's so corny. You're like in your forties, shut the fuck up. You're not the judge and jury. What happened? So at, at, I, don't, what's up? I don't even know about this. What were you saying about those bands? Like they weren't. The, the, yeah. Like they're not hardcore cause they don't support the scene and they're not about it. And they just, like the different stories to both, but, and this was before I was really on social media and I didn't really know the effects of like putting something out there and just like stirring the pot. And like, you know, there's people like, shut up old man. You're just jealous because they sell more records than you. And then there's people like, but he's right. Those bands aren't hardcore. And it's just like, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to be that. I'm not the judge and jury. I should just kind of worry about myself. But sometimes I do think to a fault that I'm like, so hardcore. If, if that's the, if that gets my point across. Yeah. Well, listen, there's, there's a lot in there, you know, um, cause I had Andrew, the drummer from ghost inside on the show and he kind of verbalized some of yeah. his personal. I listened to his episode and he came right out the gates. Like, fuck hard i don't want to say he said fuck hardcore yeah, but i was like no, but he expressed his issues with uh some of the culture and listen and i have my own personal issues with the culture because of my experience coming up in it um you know aside from the things that i love about it do you understand what i'm saying like it's a it's a it's a complicated thing of being in something and at least from from my perspective i was always a metal musician and a metal fan like that was where my heart was but i never but i what i loved about the hardcore scene was the community was the people i met was the diversity was like you said people doing it for the right reasons and the creativity and uh that was just there just seemed some something especially at that time period something so vibrant that it was like you were there and you're like oh i'm witnessing something special especially being in that northeast seen with so many groundbreaking bands and uh incredible artists but enough about me i think <laughs> no but but i think the the hardcore mentality or that that whole ethic 
I mean, it really does stem from the idea of punk rock ethic, right? And and some out of that. And it's when I listen to, I was going back to listen to some of the Despair stuff, your old band, you sound much more like a punk singer than a hardcore singer <laughs> back then. I mean, were you more, uh, is, is that your real roots? Like more hardcore punk or is it just, that was just the way you sang? Um, I mean, up until, I'm trying to think, my, my real roots are like, I mean, if you really want to go back, my mom's uh, boyfriend, when I was young, I, I mean, really young, gave me the first two Black Sabbath records on vinyl. And I don't know why he did that, but he did. So there, there's step one. Uh, from there, I got into, you know, stuff like, I bought Back in Black and stuff like that, Iron Maiden. And then when I was, you know, more becoming my own person, I got into Motley Crue, Rat, all that shit. I don't know what you call that, glam metal, I guess. Um, at that same time, I moved, I was living with my mom. I moved in with my dad who remarried. So I moved in with my stepbrother and, uh, he first got me into like, uh, run DMC and Houdini and, and early rap stuff. And then he really got into punk. So the, now catching up to the question, he really got into punk and I was living with him and, uh, I, I never fully took to it. I, I liked the energy. I liked, I liked something about it, but I, I never fully got into that, like, uh, anarchy looking crazy fuck the world type attitude that was never really me but through that um i found minor threat who a lot of people cite as like you know one of their favorite hardcore bands and i wouldn't even put them up there for me but that was my bridge into like finding new york hardcore like agnostic front war zone and all that stuff and then i just was full in and, and vocally, I, I think maybe despair is a little less metal, less brutal, less hard hitting. So maybe, and plus I was younger. So maybe it all came to a, voice hasn't developed yet. Higher pitched and I wasn't so mad and pissed off yet, you know, and you didn't get so many takes to record. So whatever fucking came out of me, came out of me. So, that's what it was, I guess. Yeah. So it wasn't, you weren't exactly aiming your shot. It just, it, it was very much of the moment and of just singing from your heart and all that stuff. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. 
Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Whatever, whatever came out of these beautiful vocal cords. <laughs> no, listen, it's, we all have that first, I don't know if that was your first band, but it, you know, it feels very much, we, we all go back to our early demos of our older bands and what we sound like. And there's a, there's a pretty similar through line in the energy and the, the recordings, but it seemed like despair did make some type of impact because it was something, even though it was the band's existence was before my time in the scene, people would constantly reference that when Buried Alive came out. Oh, Scott from despair. I did a band before that. That's a little bit noteworthy called Slugfest. That was like my first real band. There you go. And, um, our drummer quit to be in Snapcase, and um, you know I was pretty bummed at the time. You know, obviously we're talking so fucking long ago. I could care less now, but he quit to be in Snapcase, and um, re- right after that, that you know there were so many like hardcore bands in Buffalo of all of us kind of hanging out together. You know, going to Denny's after shows, going to Mighty Taco after shows sharing practice spaces, sharing band members, borrowing equipment. And, you know, when Slugfest broke up, <clears throat> immediately despair started. And, um, yeah, that was like the first time I ever toured. I mean, Sl- Slugfest played as far as Syracuse, Detroit, uh, Toronto, maybe. Not I don't even remember. Long. Yeah. But despair was the first time I ever really toured. Um, you know, we did a couple tours. We, we, uh, I don't want to say signed cause I don't think there was a contract, but we, we were on Trustkill records who, you know, later went on to be much uh, bigger of a label, but early Trustkill records, but he's Josh was still, you know, your, your New Jersey, um, uh, partner there was still taking things pretty serious. He got us ads and fanzines and, and we had posters and stickers for, which was, you know, at the, yeah. So despair did some stuff at the end, the, the last thing we ever did, um, 
Now, the last, the second last thing we ever did was a U.S. tour with Hatebreed in like uh, 96, 97. And it was like a full U.S. tour, probably six weeks. And this was Hatebreed had their first seven inch and their demo out. And just kind of watching them just take over the world was uh, pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it sets a template, but I think it also, I don't know how old you were around that time, but 96 is literally right, right when I got into the hardcore scene and started discovering all those bands. And as I, we kind of developed through, through that time, this idea that bands were thinking professionally minded was very like not in my field of understanding at all. It was just more of like, oh, we like doing this thing. Let's let's do this thing. Were you kind of seeing that with Hapri that, okay, you can actually, this can be a real thing. Is that is that something that inspired you to kind of take your next step? You know, at the time, <laughs> I know Jamie and you know Jamie. I, I think he he was being a little more professional and he was selling the merch and he, you know, he's a fucking smart motherfucker and a businessman, I guess. Um, but I didn't, I didn't care. Like I wasn't seeing it like that. I didn't, I didn't pay attention. I had no, you know, we were getting 50 bucks to maybe $200 a night on a great night on that tour. And I just wasn't thinking about it. I, I know that on the tour, uh, we played in Chicago and then later on that tour, Tony victory flew out to the LA show. It was actually in Riverside and he physically signed. Cause I said, despair did not sign to Truskill. Hey, signed their contracts and Tony asked despair to do a seven inch, which at the time for us was like a huge deal. That was like the label you wanted to be on. If you wanted to like, you know, I'm, there's different, you know, some people still even then would say victory was the devil, but, uh, for a band like us, that's really what we wanted. And, uh, we went to Europe after the tour and broke up. So that's kind of how buried alive got on, uh, victory immediately. Cause I said, Hey, Tony, my, my band broke up, but I got this new shit, sent him the demo and he, he put the seven inch out right away. So, but to answer your question, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't there yet. It was still what you were describing to me. Go out and play, work. I was like telemarketing part-time to pay my bills and just wanted to do the band and wanted to go to shows and, and all that shit. There was no ever mind to go. Because it's funny you say the thing of we went to Europe and we broke up. And I feel like <laughs> this would happen to three out of every five bands that was actually making a name in the scene at that time is that everyone was probably everyone of those bands was probably somewhere between that 18 to 22 range. And then, and what is, what are we dealing with in that time? It's like, we're in high school and then we're maybe in college or maybe someone's part-time in college. And it's a lot of young people trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. And the biggest difference I saw between the guys and God forbid was we had, a, we were much different age. Like instead of 18 to 22, we had guys who were, 16 and 17 and guys who were 21 22 and so it was like this weird amalgamation and our and john our bass player was even older so we had different life concerns but it seemed like all the other bands around us they already knew they weren't going to do a band for their life like they already had kind of 
bigger plans laid out. So it was a very temporary thing. Uh, is that somehow related to to despair where you had other guys who it was just a band. They weren't trying to make it their life. Is that, did that, and, and the touring aspect of it becoming like, oh, this is a real thing. Or some people go on tour and go, guess what, you know what? I kind of hate this. I hate sleeping on fours. <laughs> I hate staying in this van and eating pizza every day or, or whatever. I specifically, I can't specifically remember. I, I know two members of Despair quit right when we got back and then that was it. And, um, but you're right. There, there's people that go to college and they're done with being in bands. There's people that get a certain, you know, girlfriend in their life or boyfriend or something. And then that person kind of pulls them away. Uh, there's people that live in a van for three weeks and say, and get paid $3 for those three weeks and have a different outlook in life. Um, you know, th there's lots of reasons. There's, um, people that, uh, I'm trying to think of more. There's, there's a million reasons that I've seen, you know, those, those are the main ones. Oh, you know, one, another one too is, they change their musical style. They're, they're into hardcore for a while and they get into, I don't know, raves or more, go more metal or stuff like that. So they, they still move on with their musical career, but they don't want to play the same type of music. And for me, like, you know, X-Man podcast, I've always, Slugfest broke up, immediately did Despair. Dudes quit, Slug, uh, Despair was done. Buried Alive came along. That shit broke up and I I was done. I was so I was so frustrated with being the X-Man that I moved to the West Coast and I was like, I'm never doing a band again. I mean, this sounds a little dramatic, but in my head I was like, I've I'm done. Shows, so. What? I've heard you on other people's shows tell this this story of Yeah, I was just done. And then I got sucked back into it to a band that somehow, somehow plays straight up hardcore and has lasted 20 years. It's fucking insane. Well, we'll get there because you kind of skipped over the whole Buried Alive, which I <laughs> really interesting because it was the piece of your career I was the closest to kind of witness uh, to some degree. And... By the way, I just, I just had to make a comment about the I, – I kind of spoke over you, so I apologize about the girl. That's the worst thing is when the girlfriend pressures the guy into quitting the band because they always break up, and then that guy's back in the band. Like, <laughs> all that time. So one question before you start talking more about Buried Alive. Do you think guys like you and myself, are we – is there something wrong with us where we just <laughs> where, – where these other people are, they're like, I'm going to go to school – I'm going to raise a family. I'm got, I, who would want to live like that? But we kind of, even though you did have a breaking point where you were you ready to quit, but is there something, do you think we're wired a certain way to want to do this forever? I don't know. There, there's definitely something wrong with the type of person. But I mean, I don't, know all the ins and outs of your band but look 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 at all the ups and downs and ins and outs and breakups and i i think i've heard you say on a podcast before that you know you thought 
you were done, not that you were done with music, like I just said, but like, you were kind of thinking it's never going to really pop off from me. And then look what happened. Yeah. And- well, I'll say this, what I was done, what I kind of realized at a certain point is I've done all the things I want to do. Like, I don't need to do music anymore. I don't need to be on tour. I've done it long enough to know that the longer I'm on tour, it's actually unhealthy for me. So, but it's a means to an end where if that's your career and that is part of the job, then it is something you just, it's part of the whole thing. Uh, so I've kind of graduated out, outside of that, but it doesn't necessarily mean I would want to stop making music or be creative or play with people because that stuff never stops being fun to me and interesting for the right. moment. But, but, I do, but I do think there is a certain mentality that I remember I was, I was on the, we were on the bus, God forbid, was on a tour like uh, with Death Angel 2008 i think and then it was the bass player from himza and he had the band had qu- he had quit the band and they had broken up or something he's just like he's like you still like doing this and i'm like i fucking love this you crazy like this is <laughs> like and you know that was at this point 12 13 years ago uh but it was just a certain thing you know i'm i'm, I'm very much infatuated with kind of the rock and roll lifestyle like just living on the edge of society to some degree and kind of not playing by the some by the same rules now eventually those uh chickens come home to roost right you have to pay bills or you if 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 things are not all working for you and you, you just become this kind of dysfunctional person or maybe you have drug problems or drinking problems or any anything you can you can think of that eventually you do have to kind of center yourself and become a healthy individual or it will it will not work out. <laughs> Self-destruct. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to be able to do it in a way where you're not destroying yourself because we're not going to be, we can't all do it at age 23 forever. Eventually the body breaks down and the mental part of it, the emotional part of it. And I had all these other issues I was, I was dealing with that I had to figure out. Uh, but so now I can kind of engage it in a much healthier way. But uh, anyway, so going back to, to, to buried alive. So I remember seeing you guys and thinking right away, because, you know, you're out there back in the day. I think it was so cool was you sounded like what you sounded like, right? There was no faking it. There was no tracks. There was no, you know, half the time you'd see a band, there, would, there, there wouldn't be a PA. So a band really had to sound good to sound good. And you guys seemed so polished kind of right, right out the gate. But considering, I guess it was probably all of yours, second or third bands, and you had been around the, the block a little bit and then when you got the deal with victory it was pretty obvious that you guys deserved something like that like there was something that should be happening here but i remember when the album came out um death of your perfect world talking to you guys about it i remember you seemed like kind of disappointed with the recording Mm, i'm not saying you're wrong, but listening to, I, I got, I got a couple things to unpack. Can I go? Oh, you're is the, okay. First thing I think is funny that you reminded the drummer of despair quit the band when buried alive started, he was the same drummer and I was hesitant to be in the band with him because he quit. As soon as death, your perfect world came out, he quit again 
And now I just moved back to Buffalo and I was like, I want to start a band here. So when shows, if shows ever happen again, I have a band so I can be Buffalo hardcore. First person I call is him to be in the band. So I'm setting myself up for round three of him smashing me, smashing me over the head. You're forgiving. Um, Beautiful. I, that's, that's the second time you've referenced when you think of buried alive, you think of us as powerful and, and, and strong. I, I appreciate that. I can't take much credit because those guys had that band going and um, they were trying to get me to, to be the front man. And I kept saying no, just out of like what I was saying before, just I was just sick of being in bands and breaking up. And they're amazing sound and super heavy and, and very somewhat unique. You know, I, I think a lot of it goes to like turmoil. Well, yeah, a lot um, <laughs> but it's not really my exact type of hardcore. It's a little more technical and hits notes that I, if I was a guitar player, I would never hit. So I can't take a lot of credit for the sound, but um, like you said, we were, had been in bands before and played shows. And um, now going back to what you said about the recording, I don't know. I mean, it's Tracks East. It sounds fucking amazing. So I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the memory. So there was a legendary show. I mean, really, this is a fucking legendary show. I want (laughs) to say it was that year. It was 99 and it was, the first time Snapcase had played in a while, it was like some reunion type show at the Trocadero. It was Snapcase, Dillinger Skate Plan, Kid Dynamite, uh, Saves the Day, you guys, and maybe one other band. I can't remember. I think you guys might have opened. And it was sold out. I mean, I, I'd never seen a hardcore band sell out the fucking Trocadero. So it was like a big deal. And I can't remember. It was before the show or after the show. We roll up at your guys' van, me and my brother, and we show you our album, our debut album that we did with Steve Evans at Tracks East Reject the Sickness. And I remember you being like, man, this sounds way better than our album. I remember that's <laughs> maybe I don't know, maybe it wasn't you, maybe it was one of the other guys in the in, in the band, but feeling like it was uh being disappointed with it. But and so for some reason, every time I listen to the record, I always thought about that. And I do have to say, I do think it sounds really good, but I don't think it captured the live power of the band. If that, like, like there's, some, there's something about the energy of it. It's not the sound of it. It's just the energy. And maybe sometimes you you try and get something that I feel like was not the problem with terror. Where terror feels alive. It feels ah oh, like it's kind of c- coming out of whatever. How, however that, that that's kind of that's kind of captured. But I just wonder because we talk about buried alive as this band that felt as if it was always this uh, unfulfilled potential to some degree in terms of like, cause you guys were on victory and were in the very, very similar mold to hate breed somewhat musically. And so I think people expected that that was the band was going to be on that trajectory. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> um I want to say this was over email, but I didn't have email until I moved to the West Coast. So it must have been a phone call. Um, when Tony got the record, his reply was, this doesn't sound like hate breed. <laughs> I was like, well, 
we're not hate breed. Like, I don't know, but I mean, satisfaction is top 10 best hardcore records ever. So, Hey, I mean, well, no, I mean, I mean, some degree it's, it's like, Hey, there's a certain amount of expectation there that's just purely not realistic, right? I mean, that was, they were and are the biggest band of the genre ever. I would, I think if you kind of look at the numbers, record sales and things like that, touring. Um, so it, I don't think it was necessarily realistic or fair to expect anyone to quote unquote repeat that, especially while they were still there they're still hatefree. They're still, they already, they fill the gap in the marketplace for the thing that they are. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like there was a lack of it. And you look after that, there was a handful of bands that kind of tried to fit that mold, be it Throwdown or be it the early um, uh, Bury Your Dead stuff. And we can, we can probably name 10 bands that were in that mold and which happens anytime any band uh, is a trailblazer and becomes successful, right? We see bands trying to follow that, that route and that, that that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just that's how it goes we get influenced by, by by things but i think if that those are the expectations then maybe you might have been set up to fail from the outset if those are your expectations you know what i'm saying yeah maybe those were tony's expectations but i i mean i remember the first time i got the hatebreed demo it was in josh grabell's basement and I drove back to Buffalo in a, my girlfriend at the time's car and probably listened to it 10 times in a row, like trying to figure out how someone just made music that was that fucking heavy. So, I mean, uh, to, to be honest, um, I don't sit around and listen to any of my bands very often. And the way Buried Alive broke up wasn't, a good thing. It wasn't cool. I'm definitely not proud of the way it happened on my end, but when, um, you know, so I don't want to say for 20 years, I'd never listened to Barry live, but pretty close to that. I would, I don't go back and listen to my bands. And at the same time, I'd get asked lots of times about, will you play this fest? Will you play here with, with buried alive? I was nah, 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 nah. And, um, you want the long version or you want me to just go right to the point? Your call. <laughs> what the most interesting well, version of things is? I guess the, 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 to the point is when we started, I, there's two members that I've talked to the whole time. There's two members I had not talked to in like 20 years. And I, I saw the two of them on the same night here in Buffalo a couple years ago. We all hung out and talked and, and you know, in a playful partying way, buried our beef. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a standoff of, of hard looks. It was like hanging out, having some drinks. And eventually it was like, I'm sorry, I said this, I'm sorry. So when we started talking about doing, uh, playing this as hardcore, I, I had to go back and listen to the record. And my immediate reaction is this sounds fucking great this record's fucking fast it fucking hits hard the songs are great if if any point of it if any part of it that i would say is the worst it would be the vocals they're 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 okay they're they're heavy but 
they, they could be better, but musically and the sound of the music, like the recording to me is fucking amazing. And that's coming from someone that just kind of buried it and didn't give it any attention and listened to it for the, for the first time. My reaction was like, wow, this is really fucking good. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think you buried alive immediately became one of those bands that became underrated or underappreciated that, I think through time, I mean, we've seen this a million times, right? Bands break up and then they get more popular after they break up, right? Especially in hardcore. That happens all the time where the, the kind of legend of something grows. And then all of a sudden as well, in, in the same way where now it's like, I'm Doc from Bad Wolves. And that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and in a sense, that probably helps you being Scott from Terror uplifts the legacy of your previous band. Because like I, said, I agree. And like yes. I said, and I was not, I hope it wasn't coming off. Like I was saying, I thought the record didn't sound good. I was just reflecting the way I thought you guys perceived it when it came out. Like it wasn't quite as what you really wanted, but I, but I do think I, my memory of when it came out and even now I'm like the band, the live version of the band was just fucking devastating. It was so badass. And that's what drew me to it. That's all I heard you say. The band was so amazing live. There was no possible way to capture it in the studio. And that's but the, yeah, I mean, you say that for a lot of bands, right? <laughs> it was never, you know, it was, and that's the beauty of the live show, right? That there's a, something special about that, that maybe the physical mics and all that stuff can never really capture. And that's, and that's fine. Right. Yeah. It's definitely hard to uh, get that energy on recording and it's like i don't want to say it's hard now or, or it's harder now but it's easier to go the processed produced yeah. computerized route which you know it's cool it sounds perfect it sounds uh tight it sounds correct but it you know i think as time progresses you start to lose that Try the, the even if you can't get it, you're not even trying anymore to get the live energy. You're trying to to get it like a uh, robot energy, if that's the right term. I mean, is that because stuff you've experienced in recent years, like producers trying to put you in that box, or it's just you're saying from listening to other artists? Um, listening to other artists because I mean, obviously we take advantage of a lot of the technology, but we'll. You know, we, we've still, we've recorded a lot of things um, in the last couple of years that are, you know, live in the studio, play, all us playing together. Um, you know, we try to, you know, like you said before about backing tracks and stuff, like when we did Warp Tour, I was like, I don't want to name names, but I was like, it blew my mind. I found out that bands had like crowd noise backing tracks to make it seem like the fucking crowd was cheering more for them and and uh That's certain a, bands I'm excited about that i need i need to copy that one <laughs> certain bands canceled their set because their fucking computers didn't work i'm like you can't even fucking play your songs but you're about to go up on stage for fucking five thousand people like that shit's insane to me and i mean maybe that's like the jaded old guy and i i mean who am I to say I can't even fucking play any instruments, but it just to me to like, after touring so much to find out these bands that, you know, get are 
you know, this is a generalization, but are on the cover of Guitar World magazine, don't even fucking play the guitar. It's just like, what the fuck are we doing here? Well, it's it's I think it's a little more complex than that. I've written about this. I've talked a lot about it on the show. I think a lot of it actually just has to do with the way the songs are constructed and what so like for example with Bad Wolves if our tracks weren't working we really couldn't do the song Zombie because the main part is all piano right we don't have a piano player doesn't mean we can't play the guitar parts we could we just the piano part wouldn't be there so you could play it you could do a version of it it just probably wouldn't be good <laughs> it would just it would not be what you would be used to hearing or we'd have to have like an acoustic guitar nearby you'd have to do some version of things that would not represent the way it's done on recording so i think a lot of that has to do with just these recordings are very they have a lot of instrumentation that's not four or five people there's a lot just you just made my suspect band list doc (laughs) yeah that's fine that's fine (laughs) but i mean for someone like me that's extremely bare bones yeah it's it's kind of crazy to me but again like i said earlier Sometimes to a fault, I'm, 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 I've got a, a one lane highway going straight ahead. So I'll give you, you want me to give an example, like an old school example? Queen with um, Bohemian's Rhapsody. When they would do that song live, they would literally just play that whole operatic part on a track and they wouldn't play it at all. They wouldn't sing it. They would just play it, and then they would stop playing, and they would come back in with bam, 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 bam. Because there was literally, it was the fucking 1970s, and there was no physical way to do that, period. I mean, the last four Beatles albums, they couldn't, literally, they couldn't play those songs live. There was not, it was not possible. But they had retired from being a live band, so they were just making, you know, Eleanor Rigby, where they have to get an entire fucking string fucking quartet out there (laughs) do you know what i'm saying like so it it really is the uh the recordings kind of dictating what happens so if you want to make those decisions about what you can and can't do live you have to make those decisions when you're making the the music my opinion but i i get what you're saying and i've and i think there's many variations of it right there's variations where like uh in flames for example like they use they use a lot of tracks they have tons of keyboards and stuff but our, there was a show we did with them, God forbid, did with them in 2009 in Spain. None of their computers showed up and they did a totally raw set and it sounded fucking amazing because they're in flames and they're just, and so they, some of the songs, they like Cloud Connected, which is all synth based. They just didn't play it and they just played like a lot of old songs and it was fucking sick, but they're that, but not every band is that, you know? So they have tracks, but not because they need them because they suck. They have them because those are part of the songs and they don't have a keyboard player or they have extra stuff. So it's it just, I hear what you're saying and I'm with you. And then, but I've been in every version of it. I've been with God forbid where we have nothing and we just play or I, I do this band with like Rob from Metallica and it's just five dudes jamming and I've done the other thing. And it's, uh, it just really depends on what the situation is, but I, f- I feel your pain. <laughs> I and I, I I again like you know I I see the other sides of it too and there there's parts of music that and live shows that someone that's done live shows his whole life that are beyond my mental capacity but it is a little disheartening to know that bands 
can't play their songs live without a computer. That's all I'm saying. But God bless everyone and do your thing and make your sound the best it can be. And I can't even fucking do a lot of shit on a computer. So, you know. Well, you got to look at this way. The computer is essentially another instrument. It's basically like saying back in the day when people were really against like electric guitars and amplifiers. It was like, well, you can't even play your show without that Marshall stack. <laughs> Why can't you play those black Sabbath songs through this like acoustic guitar, right? Like it's just a, it's an enhancement that in a sense, all, everything that happens with music and innovation is all technology based, right? Like Jimi Hendrix, the way he would get feedback or using a wah pedal, that's all technology. You know, I mean, all the shit that Eddie Van Halen did with uh, advancing guitar sounds or even how many people were pissed off at Van Halen when they were using synths on, uh, you know, jump and shit like that. But that's technology. That's them taking things and kind of innovating with that way. But anyway, we could literally talk about this forever. So we're not going to talk about it. We're going we're gonna to move on. Uh, so let, let, let's talk about the beginning of, of Terror. Like I said, I think you've done a handful of podcasts. So I feel like people probably know or I, and I sometimes I'll do this where I kind of tell someone's story for them and you know but <laughs> where you you and you alluded to it earlier you moved to the west coast and you were pretty much done with music but then you were doing this uh telemarketing thing right yes and in Arizona in Arizona so what so why the move to the west coast you're just sick of the, the buffalo winters yeah, I was at the time dating a girl from Chicago and um, we just decided when Buried Alive was done, we wanted to be together, but we didn't want to be in Buffalo or Chicago. And I think a little bit of it is you go on, you know, I lived in Buffalo 20, 30 years at that point, And I had been able to leave Buffalo and see all these different places. And when you see somewhere like California and you go back to Buffalo, you're like, ah. I don't know. I kind of, you know, you just want to live life and explore and expand and try other things. So we just decided to pack up a U-Haul and fucking go. It's exciting. It feels like Friday. Now I'm back. Back. <laughs> and, and winter time during this, this, these crazy things going on. I don't, I'll tell you, it's 70 degrees here. I'm in Long Beach and uh, I'm not looking to go back to the, to the uh, Northeast. So uh, enjoy fucking shoveling that snow, buddy. <laughs> You know, some of these things I'm just tricking myself into uh, making it okay. But when I was in L.A. in Hallow Halloween this year and it was in the 90s, I was like, motherfucker, like this is insane. So, you know, now I'm on the other other side of the story here. But it, I, I've kind of enjoyed the winter because I haven't been one so far. But give me like two more months and we'll see where I'm at. You know, what what? Well, yeah, well, how how long does winter last? It'll be done. We got a, what, a couple more months. That's a while. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so, so did did the guys just already have terror going, and they just they they pulled the thing where they just kept bugging you, like with bury your dead, bury your dead, buried alive. Jesus Christ! I like it because I ran into that dude today. Maybe I planted that seed in in your head by the first thing I brought up was uh, bury your dead. Yeah. Um. It's a, it's a tough one. I'm a, I'm a bad host. My apologies. It's, it's okay. Ten lashes um, <laughs> um, the story goes like this. I was living with my friend at his house in uh, Arizona. 
um, just for less than a year, I, I was uh, kind of figuring out where I was going to move in California. So I, w- I like went to San Diego, went to LA, went to the Bay, and was kind of figuring out what I was going to do. And uh, my friend had just moved to Arizona from Buffalo and built a brand new house and was living there alone. And he said, you know, we could stay with him. And I got this fucking phone call. Well, I got this tape. Like I said, I was just kind of sick of bands breaking up all the time on me. Every time we got a little momentum, it was over. And I got this cassette tape given to me. When I went to LA, I stayed with uh, Dave Mandel, who does Indecision Records. And my friend Larry from Buffalo was living with him. And he gave me a tape. And uh, it was No Warning on one side, which is funny because now Jordan from No Warning is in terror. And the other side was a band called Carry On, who, and I took this tape. He said, I think you're going to really like this. I took it back to Arizona and and couldn't stop playing it. I I love both bands and I was like really psyched. And then I got this phone call uh, saying, Carry On broke up. Uh, We heard you're moving to California. Two members of Carry On are starting this new band and we want you to sing. And I was like, God damn it. And then I uh, drove to LA by myself and we jammed or or they jammed and we hung out and I I could just, you know, I I didn't think it was going to last 20 years and we're going to put out 10 albums and tour fucking over and over and over and over. But I could just tell that it was pretty fucking good. And uh, as much as I said, I was done with bands. I guess I was full of shit. (laughs) So then that, that uh, we moved to LA and uh, terror kind of took off really fast, to be honest. No, I, I know. And that's, that's really what I want to talk about because as a, someone who's in the scene, struggling, grinding it out. And I remember the first time we got to do a show with terror was in the Netherlands. It was the first. Was it, was it Germany? No, no, it was Germany. I'm sorry. It was Germany. Strike that from the record. Was it the hockey rink? Something like that. It was. So we were on tour with kill switch engage chimera and shadows fall on a new wave American heavy metal tour and was pretty much all UK except for the one show in the Netherlands, which you guys were not on. And then this festival. And so it was pretty much all the bands from our tour but it was also you guys, Caliban, and Agnostic Front, and I'm sure some bands played earlier. Biohazard? Because we the first tour we ever did over there was Biohazard, Caliban, Terror. No Biohazard. Okay, uh, maybe not then. But this, so the whole tour in the UK, it's just like every show sold out, people losing their minds. And we had never been in mainland Europe before at all. And I remember we like... <laughs> We played, and I mean, there was a lot of people there. It was a good, you know, was, I don't even know how many people there, but it was just, we were on this metal tour, and then all of a sudden, it was like, no, we're in hardcore world now. We're in hardcore world. <laughs> they did not give a shit about us. They did not give a shit about Shadows Fall. And then you guys played, and you would have thought that motherfuckers dropped a fucking stick of dynamite in the crowd, like, like, 
whatever the craziest version of Metallica playing a club on Master Puppets, like it is to this day one of the craziest crowd responses I've ever seen to any band. And then it was crazy about then Kamira went on after you guys, and then it went back to people not giving a fuck. <laughs> and then it, and then it got a it got a little better for Caliban and a little better for Killswitch. And then when Adoster Front went on, it was like when you guys played again. And I was like, oh, this is just a hardcore scene thing. What is these like? It's like people like uh my my homeboy Beto, he used to play like Madball at uh Barada. Yep. He, he'd have the best fucking thing where he would talk about like hype, like bands who are hyped up in the hardcore scene. He's like Yo, these motherfuckers—they just hearing the record. <laughs> they're hearing the record in their in their head, like where they're just so <laughs> up on it. Uh, that was me experiencing it. And then I remember we were on, we were doing some shows with Everett to My Die, and Andy was just like, "Dude, he's like, Terror came out. He's like, dude, his, his that band is they crush our bands. They're way huger than us immediately." And he was like, a little bit of like amazement, but also a little jealousy. So what the fuck happened? Because that just didn't seem to really be a thing like a brand new kind of pure hardcore band shows up and then it just kind of explodes. And so before I even have you answer, I'm going to give you some of my theories and you can kind of confirm or not confirm my theories. One guess, wait, one, was it the backing tracks that we used before anyone else? No, no, definitely not. (laughs) no, fucking great band name and great logo like it's great like the marketing for the band just having a like that initial terror shirt it was like you know bcad like uh, like the next day it's like every kid had that shirt so i think great band name great logo and then i also think it was like this counterintuitive thing because all this the band's like we were doing the kill switches and shadow. So all that was blowing up. And so if it was something that felt counter to like the trend, so it was like, bring some of this pure thing against, Oh, all these bands are going metal core or metal. And then this is like a throwback thing or, and maybe it's something just about the vitality coming out of the West coast. So those are my three, three pronged theory, but you, you tell me what you um well i I believe you sick the band was obviously really good so that helped right (laughs) i believe you said in there you that the response that we got was one of the coolest responses you've ever seen crazy It, it was insane that's very i appreciate you saying that that's very wasn't humbling there's nothing to appreciate i'm just a reporter i'm telling you what happened you guys could well, be the first band in the world, but they still went crazy. That is the two things that have nothing to do. Like, thank those kids. Oh, <laughs> uh, to to hear someone that has seen as many shows as that I imagine you seen to say that it's not in my nature to just let that go without saying no. I appreciate that. So you're gonna have to let me say I appreciate that. I'll I'll take it. <laughs> but to uh, answer your question, I think. I think you're on to some things. Terror is a pretty striking name that, that it's short to the point and catches you. Uh, the early logo, I, the Eagle, that, that shirt. Pretty cool. I had nothing to do with that, but, um, how much I got to pay to get one of those on eBay. How much are you talking about? <laughs> There's so many of them. Probably not much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think 
probably what you're saying of that, the scene, there was the kill switch in that whole world, the shadows follow the, the world that you were in. And at the same time, the more underground hardcore scene was more like 18 visions and Throwdown. So I think a lot of it does have to do with, we came out with something like a minute and 20 second, just in your face, no, just traditional hardcore. Yeah. And I think especially in Europe, bands like AF, Sick of It All have really laid that path down where people really believe in that and need that. And maybe there hasn't been, hadn't been a band since, you know, Hatebreed was kind of doing that before maybe they veered a little more metal, Always, but maybe that's what people needed at the time. Yeah. There was some Hatebreed. The reason why I liked Hatebreed was not really because they sounded hardcore. I liked them to me because they sounded like I heard Entombed. I heard Crowbar in there. I heard Sepultura. So I, to me, they were like the metal fans version of a hardcore band. And that's what I got into them into. And Terror, when it came out, just felt, like I said, pure. It just felt pure. I just thought of another point because I was thinking how you've mentioned Andy Williams twice. And um, shout out to Andy. Got to get him on the yes, show. Amazing man. I think one of the beauties of Terror that really helped us was Todd Jones, our original guitarist, was on the West Coast, younger than me. He booked shows, he did bands, and he was a great songwriter. Myself, being from the West Coast and a little bit older, I knew a little bit different of people, such as Every Time I Die, 18 Visions. Todd was more kind of in the more traditional hardcore scene. So when we came together as a band, we kind of had the opportunity to tour with like American Nightmare one day, the next day with 18 Visions, the next day with Blood for Blood, the next, I should be saying the next month. But we had like friendships made with all sorts of types of people. And another really important thing is we weren't close-minded to where we just wanted to play with hardcore bands that sounded like us. The minute 18 Visions asked us to go on tour, we said, fuck yeah, we'd love to play for your people. You know, like we were very open-minded and it wasn't like we're gonna had this master plan to take over the world. We just were wanted to play with all types of bands. And there are bands that really handcuff themselves by just staying in their box. And we weren't going to do that. Yeah. I remember after Ozfest on earth, you, you guys did the tour with on earth after it was black Dolly murder and you guys, and I, I forget who opened, but I remember just seeing that bill and being like, man, it's kind of badass for on earth because on earth to me is like, the prototypical metalcore band of that era, right? They just did kind of all the things you would want out of a band in that genre the best. And they got the two bands that were at the furthest ends of the spectrum, right? Black Dolly Murder is probably the only reason they're even playing with quote-unquote hardcore bands is because of, like I said, who the people are, not how the band sounds. They're just completely metal. And then you guys are like as hardcore as they can get, but not so hardcore that it doesn't make sense. And it was a perfect 
kind of uh, encapsulation of that moment of, of everything that kind of worked and, and that people were really excited about this band who was doing something very different over here and people were very excited about this band doing something very different. And I thought that was that was badass and I was very jealous of, of Unearth getting you guys to open up for him. It's like, oh, I, I'm like, that tour is going to kill it. Wish we were on that tour. <laughs> um, but do you feel having been in the scene for so long, had so many things work out, but also not work out, were you able to learn from mistakes you had made before? I, I think um, reflecting back a lot of those, those a lot, you know, a few times I brought up, I was bummed out because my bands broke up. I, thinking about it, I think a lot of those people quit. I was pointing fingers at girlfriends and getting jobs and stuff. I think I was just a fucking asshole. You know, a lot of times I was like, it's my way or the highway. I know more than you. We're going to do it this way or we're not going to do it. And, you know, if you're in a band with people and the, the one person thinks he's, you know, above you and tells you what to do. I wouldn't know anything about and, that. <laughs> and you're making 75 cents a show. You're going to be like, fuck this dude. I'm out of here. And I, I take a lot of responsibility to that for that. Um, a lot of, you know, mistakes that I feel like I've made with terror beyond that are just getting way too caught up in drinking and, and, and um, not like you said, um, if you let yourself go too much, that's mentally too. If, if you're not there, if you're not focused, if you're trying to be a full-time band and, and, and really, you know, after that initial buzz wears off, like you saw terror, terror coming out of the gates, you just become another band in a sea of 500 other hardcore bands and 5,000 really heavy bands that are trying to tour and put out their third record. Yeah. And if you're, you know, not on point and not taking things serious. If your um, focus is getting drunk and having fun, then you're going to lose a couple steps. And I definitely take responsibility for that or recognize that. But at the same time, um, you know, when, when terror was maybe the trust kill years really, you know, breaking away from the hardcore scene and, and doing like the sounds of the underground tour. I, so many times I'd hear like, you, you guys are the next hate breed. You guys are the next hate breed. And it came to a point in this band where we all kind of talked and just said, I'm not, you know, we were doing like sounds of the underground tours with Chimera tours with shadows fallen. I not, I totally appreciate all of them and I wouldn't take them back tours with a mirror in, in that world. That's like the, cool. I don't know exactly what that world is. Uh, and we kind of, yeah, we kind of just within the band talked and kind of said like, we don't want to do that. We, we just want to play small clubs with bands that, that make us happy and, and kind of just, took ourselves out of that where we were really pushing to get on all these bigger metal tours, I guess you'd call it. And we just kind of took a step back from that. And at the same time, kind of slowed down our touring and honest, it's made us much happier where we were just going on 10, 10, trying and trying and trying to like burst out of this bubble where we, we took a step back and said, 
we got to be comfortable with who we are and kind of stay in a place that makes us happy. And that's what makes us happy. And like, you know, we, we told our booking agent at the time, Tim Bohr, who I love, who's an amazing person that's done lots for terror, still does a lot for terror, but we just kind of said, Hey, we're going to leave you because we're not interested in getting these tours anymore. So it doesn't make sense to have you. And we just kind of took a step back. So mistakes for sure, but sometimes just getting your footing and, and seeing what makes you happy as a band after 15 years kind of is super important and really kind of, I don't want to say save the band because we we're going to break up, but kind of was something we needed to do. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fascinating to kind of have that type of awareness because the only time Tara and God forbid toured together was probably during that phase where you guys were going after the big tours. Cause it was, this was a big tour it was hate breed us, you guys, evergreen terrace, uh, the Aceous strain and after the burial great tour. Yep. Yeah. I remember you guys got on last minute and I was, and because you guys got on last minute, you probably played lower on the bill than you probably would have. Uh, cause you played under evergreen terrace. I was so happy. There was a band between <laughs> you guys and us. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to go on after that, but it was great too. Cause when a band goes on, right two bands before you, then I, I could like watch you guys every day. So you guys would get me so hyped up. You have the best hardcore banter, like getting people amped up. He, you know, he'd be like, <laughs> Oh no. Can, we hit, the, can oh. we hit the mute button? Oh no, this is great. This is great. He's like, he's like, I don't care. I don't care who's here. Black, white, dick or pussy. And I was like, every day I'm like, <laughs> I just get wait for the dick or pussy part. I'm like, that's right. He was talking about what you got bet between your legs. All right, dick or pussy. And then like a part, he'd be like, I don't care. You are my hardcore family. And I was like, that's right. That's right. And he began amped up on stage. And I, then I would get amped up. I don't care. <laughs> that shit was pumping me up. Okay. And I enjoy that shit every day. We, uh, to totally contradict what I just said, <laughs> um, we got offered a tour uh, seems like two years ago now, maybe a little longer. Hatebreed, obituary, Chromags, gotta do that. Terror, gotta do that. and fit for an autopsy. And um, God, not to put too much business out there, but I personally we passed on the tour at first. It was us rotating with the Chromags to two and three out of five. And I was just like, I just don't want to do these barricades and big, huge rooms. And, and uh, Tara's manager talked me into doing it. And it was fucking amazing. Even this, the days we played too, you know, we were playing at like 6.30. The tour was unbelievable. And even with the barricades and everything I just said, uh, it was fucking amazing. So Everything I just said is all bullshit before this. <laughs> I, no, I never know. I don't, but here's the thing. I don't think, I think there's a difference between taking a tour because you're trying, we, we're, you're desperate and you're like, we need to grow the audience. And if we don't play this, then we're fucked. And so you take like, you know, three, three cents, 30 cents on the dollar so that you can try to do this thing. I just think that's a tour that just works for your band. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that's a try. It's just, no, I mean, it's a, it's a tour as long as they're paying you decently enough. And usually on big tours, 
the the merch goes up so it ends up compensating maybe for some of the the lack of guarantee and it's just always important to stay out there and, and make sure people know but i think that that just makes sense to me um but but yeah but it was just a pleasure seeing you guys every, every day and and hearing you know because in, in at that time we were in so much different worlds to to some degree so it was just it was just great to actually finally get to tour with you guys and see you every day i i really enjoyed it okay so i'm gonna I'm just throw out a couple wild card questions so <laughs> i enjoyed it as well yeah dude it was, it was so much fun um so the on stage look maybe this i wouldn't say this even on stage look maybe it's just a look right so the long sleeve with the cargo shorts okay it's the to me it's the scott vogel look i know you didn't invent it okay but maybe you just made it famous or you made it like the like the thing so where is that did you did you start that or do you see some other cool guy doing that you're like yo i'm gonna copy that guy's shit because hmm. i'm way, sure I, I saw winston from from parkway drive i was like yo i, I see i see what you're <laughs> Scott Vogel called. He wants his look back, Winston. All right. Winston, <laughs> I love you. Win- I'm just busting your balls. Um, love your band. This would be the point where I would say, Winston, you owe us a tour. But since we don't want to tour with bands like that, what's the point? You know? I know. Play in front of all- <laughs> How terrible that would be. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny. Um, maybe the first sound wave ever. Parkway Drive slot was right before terror and now you know terror plays 300 cap rooms in australia and they play arenas <laughs> i could name so many bands like that it's amazing I, I, it's funny because i've had so many um debates with uh, my buddy finn mckenty over the punk rock nba because he does these, these series of videos called uh like why did this scene die or whatever and i'm like metalcore didn't die like it's the peak it's the biggest it's ever been i mean in my opinion if you look at some of the rooms some of these bands are playing the amount of records are they're they're selling um i don't know where i'm going with this but the point is where the the look come from with the long sleeve and, and the cargo shorts all right to bring it back in a very inarticulate way <laughs> um i would say Many of the youth crew bands, such as Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Bold, probably wore long sleeves, schism shirts, judge shirts with cargo shorts and some Nikes. So I stole it from them. Okay, but you did it the best, okay? (laughs) That's subject to debate, but thank you. You are too kind. Just saying. Just saying. When I see people doing it, I'm like, yo, Scott Vogel called. He wants eight eight cents for the (laughs) I do little, I, I, I copy little things, you know, just to pay homage to some of my heroes as well. Like I'll do the uh, bandana kind of out the, out the back. Like I'll kind of tie it on the back of my jeans and that's just for Slash. That's, what, that's just a little thing that Slash does, you know, because that's my favorite guitar player. Not bad. Not a bad choice. So I, I will say this. I do believe I invented, or as far as I know, not bringing my own mic to a show, but putting some sort of band sticker on it to remind myself to take it when I leave. That to And if I leave it, hopefully the sound man will be like, whose mic is this? I never saw anyone do that before me. I've never seen stickers on microphones. And then I've seen many people do that. So I'll give myself that one. 
whether it's true or not is subject to debate, but in my head, it's true. Okay. Another wild card. Have you ever been on tour and you know, you're the, a part of what makes a great hardcore frontman is hyping the crowd up. Have you ever heard, cause I've seen bands do this. Have another band stole your lingo either on the same show or the same tour where like you're, you're, you come up with your own little like, Oh, let's try this thing. And then all of a sudden some bands open up for you or playing a, little, a couple of spots down. They just, they steal some of your, your moves in terms of how you're getting the crowd to get hyped up. Yes. And it's infuriating yeah. internally infuriating. not to the point where I go to them and say, what the fuck are you doing? But it, it, it's, if you're on, like, if you're on tour, it sounds so corny, but you know, if you, if you got some vibe going on stage and you're delivering something and it's, it's creating the energy. And then a few nights later, the band before you does it before you. And you're like, you just bit my shit. And now I can't yep. deliver my shit. Yeah. Yes. It's happened. Tell the and yes. It sucks. <laughs> Dude. I saw it on Ozfest. I saw at least two bands steal Josta lines on the tour i'm just like that's not cool and then byron from god forbid got fucking got his bell rung uh by well the whole well, he actually he ripped the whole band of new asshole rob flynn <laughs> fucking fucking because byron stole stole one of his lines <laughs> on the european tour dude it dude it was like he's like <laughs> what do he say he goes get your own shit <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah i would have liked to say that but honestly i've probably stolen some stuff from jamie too he's like a master of his insanity but at the same time i do sometimes wonder if it's subconscious like yeah you know they're, he they're hearing it and it just comes out you're in the heat of the moment and you're not thinking and you don't real. it's like a riff right like sometimes you rip off a guitar part or something that you don't oh it Dude, that's a fucking smoke on the water. Really? Oh, I didn't realize. You know, so sometimes it's not always on purpose, but it is something to be mindful about. Okay, <laughs> another another wild card. There's a <laughs> a kind of legend. Is this legendary? I don't know. Maybe it's like an LA thing about terror being banned from the whiskey, but I'd never heard the full story about what what happened was it a headline show where you guys open it up for somebody and you guys were fighting the security can you give me the, the, the whiskey why is Tara banned from the whiskey actually are you still banned from the whiskey as of about five years ago um a person was trying to take me to a show at the whiskey and they said, absolutely not. So as of five years ago, so I would say it's a lifelong ban at this point, but to oh, sum up the story, you were physically banned. I thought the band was banned from playing there. So you physically are not allowed to go in. Correct. Um, now we're talking 15, 17 years ago, but to the best of my memory, we were headlining show there with the promise uh, born from pain from Europe. God, who else was on the fucking tour? Shat <laughs> the almighty New Jersey shatter realm. So, Oh, oh see, I, now I know. What <laughs> <laughs> um, it kind of started with uh, Busky who was in the promise at the time went later be was in terror for a while playing bass. Um, 
some of these things may not be correct, but I think we went, we, we loaded in and went out to eat. He came back and some money was missing from his bag. And this was well before doors. So there was a uh, idea that maybe someone working there took the money. So that kind of set the tone for this place kind of is not that cool. Um, during our set, kids were going off, kids were stage diving and, um, I, you know, just, just like we were talking about with backing tracks and stuff, I, I can see things one way and you explain things. And I obviously see what you're saying, but I have a problem with venues that book a show and they know what's going to happen. They book terror. They book bands that are called born from pain, shattered realm, all these things. And they want the hardcore kids money. But then when the hardcore show happens that they agreed to let in their building, the, you know, they were being really overly rough on kids and kicking kids out and tackling kids and all this stuff. And now I would hope to God that I would calm things down and not escalate things. But uh, on that night, it just escalated. And I don't want to point the finger at me that I escalated it. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't want to. I didn't. But, you know, it was just one of those things where you got all these kids and, and there was no violence. No one was, you know, getting hurt. There was no fights. It was a, a very positive vibe. Like, Terror in, in LA at that time was ultra positive, but ultra aggressive and, and, you know, lots of action. And, um, just basically the crowd turned on the security and maybe it's one of those things where you realize there's 500 of us and 10 of you and it just got out of hand. And, you know, I, I don't want to glorify it or tell you how fucking cool it was. Cause it wasn't a lot, a lot of shit got broken. I, I, our, uh, our uh, merch guy at the time picked up a, I don't know what you call it. You know, like when you go to the a divider, like a big, let's just call it a big metal pipe and try to throw it at somebody and it fucking smashed my head open. I had to do the tour with staples in my head. Our guitarist went to jail and um, yeah, it wasn't all the windows and stuff at the whiskey got broken. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's something that I think is super cool, but I didn't know it was this crazy. So this is like I'm I'm really getting the the bigness of this this the situation. And I guess that can kind of pivot a little bit to something I wanted to talk about. It's not even a direct question, but it's remember before what I said about my issues with the hardcore scene, because I think to to some degree, to the untrained eye, what you're saying is like, well, it's not violent. I think to untrained eye, it's hard to tell what's what's uh i guess um acceptable or as or like um it's like agreed upon it's like a positive form of violence right like what happens in a in a in a pit um or as a it's consensual violence right to 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 some degree um and to someone who doesn't really know what's going on then yeah it it, it looks bad but i could also say depending on what show you've been in i mean one of the reasons why God forbid, slowly kind of exited out of the hardcore scene was because of the violence in New Jersey. It just was 
so fucking bad. We they were sh- we'd be playing shows and the shows would get shut down because they'd jump a girl or something like that. And it's just something I just wasn't. It just wasn't fun. And at a certain point, you gotta ask yourself, like, what? Why are we here? And then obviously, like after that, if we kind of distance out, then the cruise stuff that got bigger and it comes on the show a little bit. And I know like some people are very hesitant to talk about it. even to some degree i'm hesitant to talk about it because you know i don't want anyone get mad at me or reprisals or people okay hey, you're talking shit so i'm not obviously talking about anyone specifically but it, it is a something with the nature of of that right like this idea about there's so much especially in the northeast scene it's a very urbanized culture right like it's very street culture oriented you know that's that's something that's the world i come from but I just never, when it got too crazy, I was like, nah, I can't. Mm-mm, mm-mm, pimpin'. I just came here to play guitar. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It was a different level. And uh, and I guess the way, what I really want to ask you about um, is like, because you're someone, like I said, who's known as being an ambassador, someone who kind of, you know, lives by maybe like a quote unquote hardcore lifestyle. Is that correct? Would that be... Is there, I mean, is, is there a hardcore lifestyle? Is that, or is that kind of a myth? Um, yes, I live, I live, I, I am a hardcore. You are? I live hardcore. <laughs> um, do you, I mean, do you have any reservations about that? Or is that something you just think is like kind of part and parcel with that lifestyle is like, there is violence and that's, it is what it is. And that's part of, hey, it's hardcore, motherfucker. That's what it is. <laughs> no, no, I mean, dancing and, and moshing. Yes. But, uh, you know, if you come to a show to hurt somebody, then don't fucking come to the show. And that's just the bottom line. If you, I would see dudes who would like, there'd be people on the side of the pit who were basically trying to run away and people going, I'm there to hit people regardless of whether they want to be hit or not. And that's what I would see. And it would fucking really piss me off. Little kids, or like some metal kid who doesn't know the rules. And then he hits someone back, someone hits him, and then everyone jumps him. And it's like, what's cool about that? <laughs> Everything you're describing that if and when I saw it pissed me the fuck off too. And I think terrors become synonymous with me, me and stage diving, more stage diving. That is a direct result of looking at our shows probably around the same time period you were extremely frustrated with shows we were on a lot of these shows that were getting shut down clubs didn't want to have us clubs bands didn't want to take us on tour because there was just fights and people getting beat up and i'm one we had to talk to certain people friends of ours and say please stop ruining our shows please two i wanted to take the focus off how hard you could mosh and smash the fuck out of people and get people to move up. Because if people are moving up and stage diving, then there's less of this focus on watching people smash each other in the head. So that was a conscious choice of me to change the uh, vibe of the show. And, you know, through time, you know, we still have fights at our shows sometimes, but it is nothing like it was then. And it's a totally different vibe. And that was a conscious choice we had to make. If we're going to continue to be a band, 
no one wants to see someone get hurt. No, no one wants to see any fight, but definitely 10 dudes beat up some long hair dude. Cause he has long hair. Like that's nothing what we've ever been about. So, um, and the hardcore scene is, it's a bit different now. It, I think that there's been a lot of changes in the scene that are, are a lot better. And I think, um, if you went, if you, you know, I'm not saying you haven't, but if you went to a show semi recently in the last year or two, I think you'd see a different vibe that you appreciate. Yeah. I mean, that's actually something I want to talk about because like I said, you've been around now for two decades plus and you've seen everything evolve where someone like me has kind of fallen out, but from the outside looking in, I, I hear about all these new bands and it's, it's so cool to me that in some way that vibe, right. Of like, uh, some DIY show, like even 20 years later, they still look the same, right? It's the same type of people. It's still young, young people that for some reason, those communities are always going to form and there, and there's something evergreen about it that I think is fucking badass. Like, even if I'm not, I'm kind of looking at it from the outside, looking in the fact that I, I see all these new bands that even, you know, you see with bands like knocked loose, how well they've done or code orange who are, kind of almost going to doing their own thing, but that's where they started. And it, it feels like you watch a video, you see a band like, yo, you might as well be at a disembodied show in 1998. Like it, it just, <laughs> it's just fucking interesting. How, how has that been for you kind of seeing it evolve and in some ways get big, right? Like I know you, you had some issues with the goats, goats inside, but to see how they do a reunion show and 8,000 people show up or have heart does a show and, you know, 10,000 people show up. I mean, it seems like it, in some ways it's bigger than ever. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's crazy because, you know, you, you like me, I see so many different generations and there's so many different little scenes within hardcore itself. Like there's people that are only into like youth crew, like youth of today. And then there's people that are only into like disembodied and buried alive. And, you know, I'll have people tell me they like, buried alive more than terror because they're in different worlds somewhat in the, you know, bands like code orange, knock loose, um, turnstile are, you know, very experimental in their sound. They're, they're way far off the path than like a, a straightforward terror. But like you said too, there's still, you know, especially living in LA, there's still like these underground shows that I would go to with like 75 people, of bands that are just playing on shitty equipment that can hardly play their instruments, which is a beautiful thing. I'm not dogging them out. So there's so many different layers to hardcore now. Um, I think in one way, like uh, a lot of people grow their hair now and they sound differently. And I think that's a really cool thing, but I think too, at the same time, some of the, important uh, importance on using your head in in the ethics of hardcore is maybe as strong is stronger than ever which is is super important because like you said you got a bitter taste of just seeing people get beat up for having long hair no one no one wants that so and i think you know you know i i'm realistic bullshit still happens at hardcore shows but i think it's way less than it was and uh I think it's way more open-minded and, and way more um, inclusive to people. So I think there's a lot of great things going on. And then you see, you know, like 
some of those bands like, you know, Turnstile and stuff just getting huge opportunities. And it's really fucking cool. Yeah. No. And just to clarify what I what I meant, it, it wasn't just about maybe a bullying thing. It was that I was always at shows because of music. I liked music and I liked bands. And I felt a lot of that vibe was in a sense about taking the attention away from the band and putting it on the people in the crowd. Like you ever watch yeah. like a video of like a band, you notice everyone's looking at the pit and they're not watching the band. <laughs> the yeah. people in front are watching. Yes. Yeah. And, and so it's like, they're trying to oh, let me be a star out here with my moves as opposed to, well, there's a band. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, what are we just like the soundtrack to someone fucking people, people up. And it, it just became kind of a very misaligned understanding of why I was there. Um, and and because to me, it's just always like, yo, is the, is the music good? Is the band's good? That's I'm, I'm there to connect. And by the way, and I'll do that. I'll go see a bar band, cover band, and I'm fixated on the bit because I love watching musicians play together. And 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 I just love bands. You know, that's and we're knee deep with this pandemic. I ain't seen a fucking band. I don't even know how long it's fucking driving me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, terror is no saints. Terror has had members that have done violent things and out of line things. And, and, you know, you know, I don't want to come off like this, Mr. Righteous. We, we are the good guys that wanted hardcore to be super uh, safe and happy. Cause that's not the case. You know, we've done fucked up things too, but big picture is we change for the better. And I think the scene has also changed for the better. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, part of the excitement is, being involved, like when you start start experiencing pits and that energy and that, it's the danger is part of what's fun about it, you know. So you don't want to be completely removed. I don't think. As, as <laughs> I want to just want to talk a little bit about the the music uh, with 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 terror, because it's funny you mentioned about the very live record. Like the worst thing about it is the vocals, and <laughs> when you said that, it made me think about what I. I feel like something that you weren't as great at then that you are now is pronouncing your words. Is that it's not that the vocals sound bad, it's hard to understand everything you're saying on that record. But it seems like listening to all the records, every record, terror record, you get better and better at enunciating. And it's obviously so important in hardcore where the lyrics are like, that's everything, right? That's what people are you know, galvanizing around is a message or kind of understanding or like, obviously there's big sing-alongs and, and, and things like that. Is that something you, you put time into or does it just happen naturally? I think that's another Josta was came out so crystal clear and you could understand every word he said and that result. And not, not to mention that, you know, not to take away the fact that he has great lyrics and, super core, you know, he knew how to make a fucking chorus. I think seeing that and hearing that taught me that that's how you want to do it. You want people to hear you. And even thinking back like Gorilla Biscuits who are crystal clear and those bands just get those sing-alongs because you know, it's like A plus B equals C. If, if, if you can't hear it, if you don't understand it, you're not going to sing it. And that's a big part of hardcore L lyrics and connecting to other bands has always been 
the thing, you know, obviously I care about the music, but it's really the lyrics that really spoke to me. So I would give that a hundred percent to Mr. Josta, just delivering that crystal clear record and kind of teaching me that that's the route to go. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something I think has improved over the years. Another thing I started to notice is by the time, um, you know, uh, the Damn the Shamed record and then Keepers of the Faith, slowly but surely you start to hear like, oh, here's like a little guitar solo. Okay, right here. <laughs> oh, now there's, a little, there's a little clean guitar. And I start, the, the songs almost start to have a thrashier, almost crossover vibe. And so it's a way, I'm sure uh, a layman might listen to the band and not really understand the nuances and the way the band is evolving and changing. But I always would think about a, with a lot of different hardcore bands that as soon as a hardcore band changes almost anything, then it becomes less hardcore. And you know, so you're like in this very difficult position where if you stay the same, maybe as artists, you get bored and you're like, well, we can't, people expect us to do blank. And if we change, then we're going to be called this, but you guys kind of found a way to expand somewhat but not too far out of that has that been something uh has, has there been like relatively people have gone along with that you guys kind of trying new things and or even there's actually even more like punk stuff like in the in the in the newer songs where it feels a little more song oriented a little more melody and kind of the chords and, and and things like that um have the fans been more or less receptive to that you guys kind of trying some different things without going too far out of the realm of what's considered what the band is? Okay. First thought is on our very first seven inch, it's a two song seven inch on the song. I don't need your help. There's a guitar solo. See, I, so, I, I checked out low, to low first. I didn't check that out first. See, I'm fucking, but you, you're, you're very accurate in what you're saying. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to go into it when you're on like your fourth record, it's just natural to try some different elements. Also our guitarist Todd that wrote the first two records left the band. So we had new people writing. I think that's where the more thrashing thrashy picking came in. Um, so just the natural things, you try new things, you get new people, new influences, you know, I, I've heard Nick um, say that on the damn, the shame Busky came in the band and Busky's like one of his favorite band is crowbar. He showed Nick crowbar. Nick was writing a lot of our stuff. Maybe you hear a little crowbar in there. It's that simple. You know, you get introduced to new things now on the, are people receptive to it? It's, it's a fine line. And I can say, we do what we want. We don't give a fuck if they don't like it too bad. I mean, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of sometimes the people writing the song go a little too far with sprinkling and a rock influence, a punk influence, a metal influence, and someone else in the band, which is usually me, <laughs> pulls it back in. And then we meet somewhere in the middle. And once you put my voice over it, then it's terror. Um, it's a lot of things. And of course we want people to like us. Of course we want the people that have been there with us since the start to stay with us, but it's impossible. People come, people go, people like the old stuff. People 
weren't born for the old stuff. People like the middle stuff because that's when they got into the band. It's like this impossible maze that, excuse me, it's, uh, to me, it seems impossible to figure out why this band, why this record, why this song connected, why this record fell flat, why there's peaks, why there's valleys. It's just a reality. And I think one of the beautiful things about terror is we've maintained a, uh, a level head at our, at our early peak when we were popping off and everything was going our way and every show was super awesome we were happy to open up for a band and play first. And we were happy to take the $150 when we knew that our draw was more because that's the way it goes. And still today we'll play in a fucking basement. We'll play a fucking huge festival. We've, like I said, we've pulled back, but we still get the chance to go up on a huge stage with Haybreed and we'll, we'll rip into that crowd with the same energy. So it's like impossible to figure out. I just think you got to just like, know that there's going to be good, know that there's going to be bad, know that band members are going to leave, know that certain people are going to say your record sounds just like the last one when everyone knows it doesn't because that's what the review is. And just be happy, you know, just be happy with, we've been a band for 20 fucking years. We can go anywhere in the world and have people sing along and someone will come up to me and fucking the Philippines and say, your lyrics mean so much to me. And then, that makes it all okay. Yeah. Are you, well, I don't want you to speak for anyone else, but in many ways we're kind of, because the, the art form itself isn't that old, right? We only have a handful of bands that have aged to a certain degree, like an, an agnostic front, like a sick of it all, uh, who are just now getting into their fifties and sixties, but they're still keeping going. And I always wonder, not just about hardcore bands, but any really extreme music uh, when you're a singer or a screamer and you're trying to maintain that edge, right? Like, are you just as pissed off now as you were when you were 20 years old? Do you, are you vocally, do you, like, do you feel like you can keep doing that? Like physically, like, do you feel any wear and tear? Does it feel like you can do this for another 20 years? Are we talking about my throat, like de delivery or my physical on stage presence? Well, both, both things. Actually, no, no. I, the, the physical, like going crazy, that is what it is. We're all going to have to deal with that when we deal with it. I just mean more like, uh, you know, technique wise and just being able to, to scream, but also the, the emotional part of it. Like we've, I'm not going to say again, I'm not going to name names or I've heard some heavier bands where it's, you know, they're six, seven, eight albums in. I just don't believe it. I don't believe they're pissed off at any, anymore, you know? Uh, so, th so those two things, the, the emotional aspect, is that something you can still tap into? I mean, I hear the records, it sounds like you can, but what keeps you kind of going with that? And also just the physical tool of, of screaming, how, how, do, how do you feel like you'll age with that? Um, to tackle the simple part first, my voice, um, it, it's hard to say right now because I haven't used it in like almost a year except sporadic recording. But up until, you know, a year ago, my voice was stronger than ever. I, I, I rarely have problems with my voice. And even if my voice is blown out, like at the beginning of a tour, 
it's not that much of a difference. I just sound a little bit weaker because, you know, I don't hit any notes. There's no like clean parts. It's just like fight through it. But my, my, my voice is pretty strong. Um, you know, honestly, this may sound cliche, but the world is so fucking crazy right now. How can you not be pissed off? So that adds a lot of fuel to the fire. Um, and I don't, I don't think at all terror is phoning in our, our records whatsoever. We have uh, lots of material. Uh, it's not like we're forcing writing. And, uh, but you're, I, you guys are consistent, though, which I think is awesome. Like it's rare, rare you go more than a year or two without putting something out. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's not like we're pulling teeth and like forcing ourselves to write and just laying down what we have. There's just constantly stuff coming and it, it comes pretty naturally. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the same as I was, but I still think I'm just like a very living outside the box. I, I, I'm still like, you know, this sounds weird, but I'm, I'm still just a hardcore kid. Every, everything I do, so I'm not faking it. I'm not trying to like, there's no one in terror that wants, you know, to change our sound to more of a mature or a rock sound or metal sound. We're all kind of on the same page and we all just are, are pretty comfortable with who we are. So I, I won't lie. There are times where we are about the band before us is on stage and I'm sitting backstage saying, fuck, man, I don't want to do this. And I'm telling myself, I'm going to phone it in tonight. I'm just going to get through it. It's only 12 songs. It'll be over in 35 minutes. But the minute like we start, that all goes out the window. And I just, it just, what, even when I'm quote unquote, trying to phone it in, there's something about me that really doesn't let me. So there's just like, when it's go time, it's time. It just, it just happens. Yeah. That's uh yeah. And I, I believe that. And I think ultimately that's the reason why people gravitate towards you as a, as a front man and, and the band is, is it, you know, you can't fake an authenticity, right? I mean, you can, but people who know kind of know, I think in my, in, in my opinion, and that, and that's the thing, like I said, getting, getting, having the opportunity to, to tour together and see you guys every night and, see that passion and see that excitement is just it's very kinetic you know and and the fact that you're able to keep it going is is amazing it really it really is um i wanted to ask something uh about the buried alive reunion <laughs> i guess that's for lack for lack of a of, of a better word and i think it's amazing because you look on spotify and it's like you have a record out in 2001 which i didn't even know about which Calls shows I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, what are you talking about? Last rights? Yeah. What is that? Okay. Um, finish your question, and then I'll address it all if that's cool. And then the next release, there's an EP that came out in 2020. <laughs> By the way, is the most hardcore thing ever. Only hardcore bands can break up and then they put a record out 20 years like nothing ever happened. <laughs> um i don't there's no other there's no other genre that's like that. i'll give you the the lowdown so death your perfect world came out um that's what i would call the true buried alive record 
uh, Last Rites was towards the end of the band. We were going to have Matt Henderson from Madball uh, produce our next record. So we went to New York City and demoed, I think it's eight, six, eight songs. I don't know how many songs, six or eight songs. Um, we demoed them and sent them to Victory to check out the demos. And uh, I ended up quitting the band. And um, we didn't want that to come out. It's not a real release. Um, the demo. I get I yeah, I guess I can see Victory's side of it. They they put it out because, you know, they had put a lot into the band and um, we broke up very abruptly and they put it out looking like, I mean, if it, now that you know, if you had it in front of you, the layout's super generic, there's nothing to it. Um, I asked them not to put it out. They said, we're going to put it out anyways. I, I don't know if that's legal or not, but whatever. Um they put it out and the band was over even before it came out. It was over um, to get to the reunion. Would you like to hear that? Is that, is that where we're going? Of course. This is the X-Man baby. <laughs> so I, uh, I quit the band. Um, I quit the band. I knew I was going to quit the band on our, we did a last tour with death threat. Uh, we played our last show in Buffalo, our last real, real show as a band. I knew it was our last show. Well, my last show with the band, I kind of was a, not a, a, a stand-up guy about it. I told those guys I quit and I packed up a U-Haul and I left town and I kind of left those, let those guys out to hang. Is that the right term? Left I just took off. I just said I quit and I take off and I knew it and I planned it and I left them like that. And that sucks. And um, the reason in my head was, um, you know, I, I thought the band was changing too much. The, these certain people, their influences were becoming very strange to me. And um, I have always said that they told me not to talk about hardcore on stage anymore. Now that we've um, become friends again, they, they claim they've never said that to me. So whether I made that up or they one way or another that's in my head that they they told me hey scott stop talking about hardcore on stage because we don't care about that stuff and that to me was the last straw so whether they said a, a little version of that or whatever i packed up and i left and i was done with music i was moving with my girlfriend <laughs> so just like i said before people quit for girls i don't really think that's what i did but maybe it looks like that but anyways Two of the members, uh, Scott Sprigg, who's a guitarist, and Jesse the drummer, um, I stayed in touch with them. The other two, Matt and Joe, I had not talked to in 15 years longer. Um, when I, I do this band called World Be Free with a couple people. It's um, a more melodic like side project I do, or I don't know what you want to call it, another fucking band I'm in. And we played in Buffalo. We played uh, here with Judge a couple of years ago, maybe four, I don't know, four years ago. And at that show, every single, that single member of Buried Alive was there. And that's where um, after the show, I saw them and we all ended up uh, in the basement. We, we know the owner of the club because, you know, we're all from Buffalo. We all went downstairs and we're drinking and talking and, you know, it was good to see you. And then we aired out some of like that thing I just brought up. I think one of them said to me like, Hey, I've heard you say in interviews that we, that we said this, we never said that to you. And, you know, we kind of just 
put it aside. And, you know, I think we said, you know, maybe at some time it would be cool to play again. And I said, you know, I get asked a lot and, and Joe hardcore does this is hardcore fest. He had asked me for a couple of years. And I think I said, Hey Joe, maybe this is actually possible. And we played, this is hardcore. We played a couple more shows. Um, and those guys without me, cause I was still living in LA at the time they, they were getting together and writing and, um, they wrote, I want to say they wrote about six songs. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, I, I was not living here and I was on tour constantly. Um, I want to say everyone in the band besides me has kids and a family and wives. They have real jobs, they own businesses, and it just was never going to be a thing where we did a real tour or did stuff. And uh, certain members of the band straight up just said like, Hey, I did those. We also played two shows. We played two shows in Buffalo, two nights in a row because it was a really small club. And, um, us, you know, one member just said to all of us, Hey, that that's it. I've done everything I want to do. So you guys have my blessing to play shows, but I, I don't want to do it. So, um, you know, it just is what it is. I, I really do think the the new seven inch that came out, it's called death will find you. I believe mm-hmm. there's, two new songs on it. And I, I think they came out really good. I, I, I think they're pretty fucking cool and I'm glad we did it, but above everything I just said, I'm just happy that we have a, a group text and I'm, you know, I'm friendly with everyone because I lived in a van with these guys for a couple of years and went to Europe and made music and they're all important to me. So most importantly, we're all in a good place. And like I said, whether if those things were true or not that I said, they said, um, I, like I said earlier, I, I know that I'm a, a band Nazi at times where it's just like, I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm sure that played into a lot of things happening with the band. So, um, yeah, I'm just happy we're friends and that's that. Yeah. Listen, I, I can connect to a lot of that in terms of <laughs> with the God forbid guys and, having a higher ethic of the relationships always for me being more important than the business or even the music, you know? So I, I can connect to a lot. And I think that's amazing. Just going back and we can kind of wrap up on this about the guy saying they don't want you to talk about hardcore, but you said, they said it didn't happen, but what is those, you know, talking about that stuff on stage or just in general, I mean, what, what does hardcore actually mean to you? And why would you talk about it on stage? What is, what is that about? Like, what are you actually trying to tap into? Um, I think one of, if not the most important thing about hardcore, more than music, mosh pits, traveling, meeting people, those, there's a lot of important stuff there, but I think learning about the world and people and kind of figuring out who you are and who you're going to be in this world is I learned a lot of it from bands, lyrics, reading interviews, meeting people, um, fanzines. And it's just, you know, I come from a time when 
especially Syracuse uh, um, in the early nineties, you know, there would be shows would stop and there would be a crowd of 200 people listening to two people debate over if abortion is right or wrong. If, uh, if veganism is the way to go, if um, you know, animal rights stuff, uh, all sort like fanzines, it's to me, it's just way more than music. It's about, and I, you know, I don't agree with even things that I didn't agree with in lyrics. I was glad I was exposed to them because at least it made me think. So to me, hardcore is more than just fucking it up in the pit. It's about learning what's important in this world and, and not just learning, just deciding for yourself who you're going to be and what's going to be important to you. So when I'm on stage, um, especially back then, because now I, I somewhat think there's a beauty to terror. A lot of times now, let's say we have a 14 song set. We'll play seven songs, stop once. I'll get everything off my chest that I want to say. And then we'll play the another seven songs and say, thank you. Good night. But I just think uh, sometimes like, like Bane, Bane is, is a very important hardcore band and I don't love their music. I don't connect with their music so much, but Aaron is an amazing lyricist and the stuff he says in between songs is it sums up what hardcore is to me. So that's why I hold that band in such high regard. So to me, it's just, it's more than music. And uh, I think when it becomes just reduced to music, then I'm not saying you're not a hardcore band, but it, it, it takes a little bit of a, a way of the, the beauty of it to me. Listen, I think you, uh, that's really well said. And uh, listen, Scott, Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been incredible. It's been, it's taken too long, but you know, <laughs> it happened. I, you know, I was originally going to hope we can, we could share the same space, maybe have some coffee together, but <laughs> now you're back in the frozen tundra. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me. I listened to many, many, many of your episodes. Um, glad to do this. Glad to catch up with you a little bit. I know that you uh, have some insanity going on with your band, which I know your band has got to be very important to you. So I wish you the best of luck Thank you. with uh, moving forward. And I hope to, I get to see you again sometime. I'm sure we will. Yeah, we 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 ran into each other. Who was I was I on tour with on Earth or something? And we we were, you were singing for some you were filling in for some other band. I think I was playing with Unearth. I'm from Pain. I think so, something. But we were just, we crossed paths in Europe. I'm telling you, I just see Scott randomly. Wait, what, this might have been, were you on the uh, Hell on Earth tour and I just showed up to the shows to hang out? Well, God forbid did the Hell on Earth tour in 2008, but this was 2013 when I was filling in for On Earth. So I don't was know. Was it with Bane? No? No, I just remember you were filling in for some other band. That's all I remember. Uh, we, we ran into each other somewhere, but that's usually how it is. It was just like, hey, what are you doing in Belgium? I don't know. I'm here with this guy. <laughs> Let's get a beer, you know? The last time I saw you, I think, was that uh, suicidal hate breed uh, tattoo, yeah. tattoo thing. 
in LA. Yeah, the, yeah, that was that was awesome. Music Inc. Music. There you go. Back back when the world was, we could go do things. I'm, oh oh, I miss it. <laughs> back when there was a such thing as fresh air. Hey man, this this fresh air out here. I was at the beach. You can't go outside because you're gonna freeze to death, man. <laughs> can't stop me. I'm. I'll, I'll take. I take an hour walk every day here. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I will see you sometime soon. Well, I will take all the gratitude and offer it to you because you're giving your time and open up and telling these amazing stories. And like I said, you're you're more than a scene legend. All right, you're in this. In this, <laughs> we're gonna have to come up with a name for it. I'm gonna figure it out. All right, and we're gonna make like a plaque, and then it'll be like a chart. All right, and we're gonna say who's in what category, and you're gonna you're gonna be up there. All right, brother. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> I love you, Scott. You take care, man. Love you too. Bye. Peace. So that was Buried Alive with their reunion track from their reunion EP entitled Death Will Find You. That song's called I, Killing I, Hard as Nails, Gets Me Amped Up. They clearly have lost none of their energy or aggression or vitality. And go check that EP out. It's only four songs, but like I said, it's pretty badass. 20 years later, coming with the heat. I love it. I love it. Well, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the amazing Scott Vogel. He's so he's good. I was listening back and like the guy knows how to do himself on a podcast. He knows how to speak. Oh shit! Some shit just dropped. Sorry, guys. 
Uh, he was great. Scott is the man. I love that guy. And, you know, he's as real as a motherfucking gets around here. You know, me, I feel I feel fake as shit after I listen to that. You know what I'm saying? Doc Coyle, mm-mm. I ain't real like Scott. But one day, maybe. You know, one day I'll, I'll, I'll keep it real, you know? I'll just go move out to the woods, start cutting wood, learn how to do some man shit, you know, like fix a house or work on an engine or something. I don't know. One day I'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, so there's not much going on, guys. Uh, this is my, in the midst, the midst of my kind of, in like I said, the, the, the breathe, breathe in, breathe out. I don't know if I'm in the breathe in or breathe out part, but I'm in the, you know, just getting out of my shell a little bit. So sometimes when I'm on it, I'm working and I'm grinding, it's a, a momentum that kind of works with itself. And now I'm, I have to work it back up again, but I'll, I'll get there. I'm doing all right. I just, I find myself not really connected to a lot of the debates I would normally want to interject myself into. Everything feels very fluffy and I don't want to say meaningless, but I don't know. I, I just, I find a lot of people, it seems like they're fighting a certain fight because they're kind of just used to it. And and they have this kind of misappropriated energy that needs to go somewhere. So I would caution against it. All right. We're kind of in a, believe it or not, there's, there's a lot of good things on the horizon. But we're not through it yet. But finding ways to center ourselves. Like I said, the breathing. Breathing is everything. I have that breathe breathe app on the Apple Watch. I just do that. It works. Am I? Is this becoming like an ASMR podcast? A a meditation podcast? It's important, you know. Just just breathing. One time, Corey from God forbid, Corey Pierce, drummer, said he said he was hanging out with Phil Anselmo on Ozfest, and Phil Anselmo was like. You know how to breathe, man. My mama taught me how to breathe. And I was like, that's a that's a pretty cool story. Apparently, I need to work on breathing. And as well, should we all. So, breathe. Take a minute. Mama's out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, 
And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.